Welcome to Tree Talking Time, where we talk all things tree dogs. From the smallest fights to the largest hounds. Drink squirrels to bears and everything in between. And from time to time, we might even run a little fast game. Welcome back to another episode of Tree Talking Time. Just wanted to stop in and say thank you for everyone that listens to this every week. I've had a lot of fun over the last month kind of diving into the different cur breeds and especially how they've been used for big game. But I realize there's a ton of guys that are hunting curs on squirrels. And at some point, we will definitely, definitely touch on that. I've had a lot of requests, actually. For squirrel hunting content, Feist. And I'm really excited because I have a really good Feist episode planned for you guys. So stay tuned for that. We've got a couple more weeks of Kerr episodes. And then after that, like I said, we've got that Feist episode lined up. And then we've got some other stuff. It might not be tree dog related. It's all hunting dog related though. And just some off the wall, very different styles of hunting. So... Stay tuned. Thank you very much. Thank you for my patrons. I'm sorry. I am dragging my feet. You guys deserve an episode. I have an episode. I just need to get it uploaded to Patreon. That's something I haven't figured out yet. So be patient with me. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoy this one. This is the last episode that I have from my archive that was released with W hunting supply. So this is it for all the repeat stuff. I kind of spread that out over the last six months. Didn't want to just drop all of them right at the right at the beginning. So this is it. This was recorded last October when I went on a bear hunt in the upper peninsula of Michigan with a friend of mine, Richard Bailey. Me and Richard have known each other for uh probably six years. I bought a dog off of him. Dog didn't end up working out for me. Made somebody else a great dog. But me and Richard have stayed in contact. Great guy. Invited me up. Had never met in person. Showed up at his house. And him and his wife. Great host. Ran around the UP for a couple days. Definitely not long enough. Definitely got to go back. But had a lot of fun. So. I hope you enjoy this episode. Also, there's some new things coming from Tree Talking Media. So if you're not following me on social media, you need to be because that's where the announcements will be made. So enjoy. I'm here tonight with Richard Bailey. We're up at Richard's house in the UP of Michigan. We've been bear hunting the last couple of days. How are you doing tonight, Richard? Pretty good. You wore out? I am tired tonight. <laughs> I got a dog from Richard about four or five years ago, and that's how I met Richard, and he's been a, a bear and coon hunter for a long time. How long have you been bear and coon hunting? Well, I started in 1966, so what, 34 and 21 is 55 years. No, yeah, 55 that would be. Now, you started out coon hunting. All right. Well, I'd had beagles and fox dog. I ran fox. Okay. And hunting since I was a little kid. Gotcha. Now, the breed of dog that you run is 
leopard curs, leopard technically by UKC papers, they're hounds, but um, your dogs are definitely more on the cur side of, of leopards. Yep. I I met Brandon Thompson. He owns Glade Creek Kennels, and I got some dogs from him and got to be friends with him and stuff, and I've got strictly grade, glade, I can't even talk, Glade <laughs> Creek uh, dogs. And I really believe they're right now. They're the best dogs available for what the way I hunt and what, what I, then what I like to hunt. Mm-hmm. But you're not new to leopards. You've been hunting leopards since pretty much 1966. I got my yep. first leopard. Now, where'd you get your first leopard? Um, I hunted with a young fellow named Ricky Cox, and he found uh, the dog's name was Tippy. She's a black dog with a white ring neck and white tip on her tail. Old time, you know, the regular leopard cur, she had a double coat, chop mouth, turkey yodel mouth, chop on tree. And uh, Ricky found her. I don't know. I don't remember how he found her, but I went and I bought her. And that was my first one. Mm-hmm. And I've had a bunch since. I've had them from just about every line except the Keeter dogs out in Oklahoma. I had heard through the grapevine that they were hotter-nosed dogs, and I needed cold-nosed dogs for bear hunting. Mm-hmm. So I never had any of their dogs. And I've had mostly McDuffie dogs. You know, you know he started the registry. And invented the leopard curse. <laughs> and you actually got a lot of dogs fr- straight from Richard. Oh yeah, right? yep. I hunted dogs for him, um, and I got dogs from him all you know for years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always liked his dogs the best. Um, I did get a female one time. <clears throat> we all used to meet in northern Wisconsin. I used to go over there and run bear because their training season started before the Michigan one did. And Dean Oyster came up, and he gave me a leopard-spotted female named Bonnie. And he said, "I, you know, everybody says these Midwest dogs won't make big game dogs, and I'd like you to hunt her and see what you think. So she was a good dog. Uh, she's a little bit deer crazy, but I got her off from them. And so I tracked down her, where she come from, and I bought her brother. I named him Woody, and he was a really good bear dog, and so was she, but he was a little bit better than her. He had a little bit colder nose. Okay. Um, I've had him from, you know, I had a dog from the England line of dogs out of Missouri. His name was Jack. He was a half brother. They they had a dog named Shiner that's quite famous. Yes, he was a half brother to Shiner, and a half brother to Blue Streak, which was a dog that Rex Laker owned when he was a pretty young kid. Okay, but the McDuffie dog seemed a little bit better nosed, and I got to be good friends with Richard and. It just worked out. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I know like the history on the breed's kind of fuzzy for most people, and a lot of people just assume there's Catahoula. Um, kind of, can you touch on that? Explain from what your knowledge is of that situation and subject. Well, like I said, I'm, I was good friends with Richard McDuffie. And, you know, there's always rumors about different dogs or different strains of them or whatever. But in my opinion, there's, there's no Catahoulas. Um, Catahoulas are bred to be stock dogs primarily. And most of them won't tree. Some of them do, but most of them won't. And they're usually hotter-nosed dogs. And uh, I just, I know, you know, what Richard had in his dogs. And and uh, I never, I've only seen a couple Catahoulas in my life. I'm, as you know, I moved up to Canada at one point in time. And people had uh, Catahoulas up there, the big ranchers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they used them to work cattle. So what else you want to know about the Catahoulas? <laughs> <laughs> now, like, I kind of explain it to a lot of people. It's, they're like a Border Collie and an Australian Shepherd. They're kind of like almost cousins. Mm-hmm. They're very similar. Um, at some point, maybe way, 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 way back, you know, the Catahoula influenced them. But as far as I, from the start of the registry, yeah, they, they really haven't. Since Richard started the registry, I know he he went to Texas to buy some cat dogs, and they turned out to be Catahoulas, and he wouldn't buy them. But the man that was selling them told him about a Mexican that had some leopard dogs. So Richard got a guy that could speak Spanish to go with him, and he picked up the four original ones. Uh, Nimrod, Flicka, um, Elrod. Elrod. Where am I at here? I can't think. Isn't the other one Cleopatra? Cleopatra and Flicka were the same dog. Okay. Um, There was two males and two females. And Richard kept Nimrod. Mm. He was kind of like the the foundation sire. Yes. Yep. He, He read... I have an old yearbook where he, Richard, put in his ad that Nimrod had sired somewhere around 3,000 puppies. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. Yes, it is. And uh, he, Richard finally realized how valuable he was as a stud dog. And Nimrod, when you turned him loose, you had to go to him. He didn't come back. He would have a coon eventually. And uh, Richard was all, we didn't have tracking collars and the stuff that we have now. And Richard hunted a lot off from horseback and daytime. And uh, he just, he was so afraid he was going to lose him. He did lose him a couple times, actually. And uh, he was so afraid he was going to lose him, he just used him as a stud dog and never hunted him after he was about three years old. And I I I hunted with uh, Elrod and at the leopard den and Nimrod was a I hunted with both of them but Nimrod was a way better coon dog. Elrod was a good dog. Mm-hmm. But Nimrod was just a phenom. I mean, he was just a freak of nature. Mhm. Being some mixed up unknown 
leopard dogs that come out of Texas. Yep, Richard said they were running a jackrabbit. They were skinny, and they were wild. Um, and he said they were running that jackrabbit to catch it for dinner. <laughs> and uh, they had to herd him into a, a building where this Mexican guy lived. They couldn't handle him. He, he got him in the truck and never let him out all the way home. Um, he let him poop and pee in the truck. And when he got home, he backed him into a building that he had and let him out. And it took him quite a while before he could handle them. They mm-hmm. were, they just had never been fooled with. And they were, he figured, I, I think they were around nine months old, he figured. Okay. I, I don't remember if the Mexican guy told him the exact date when they were born or if he just, Richard just figured by their size and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he, the first night he took Nimrod out, he treated a coon. And then Richard started hunting him hard. And as time went by, you know, he got made up with Richard. You know, you you and I have talked about some of the quirks the leopard dogs have. And, yep. and one of them is they're very one-man type dogs. Yep. And, you know, that's just one of their quirks. I think it's a good thing. I don't think it's a quirk. Um, I really don't. Even even when I had fox dogs, I didn't want people to catch them. They would home, you know. I could I could leave a dog house out or my jacket out, and wherever I started them, they'd be there. Eventually, you know, they'd come back. Mm-hmm. I think uh, one thing that I want to say, I think we're gonna end up breeding that homing instinct out of these dogs. Oh yeah, definitely. because we use tracking collars mm-hmm. and. We don't know if our dogs will home or not because I always go get them. Yep. And uh, I think eventually that's going to cause some issues. I was recently talking to somebody that has some dogs out west, and he was hunting a lot. He was lion hunting, and this is, I don't know, 30 years ago or so, I'm guessing. Um, And he told me that he had a dog that he couldn't find. We had two dogs get out of pocket. They split. His pack split. Two dogs got out of pocket. A couple of days later, somebody, uh, some miners caught the female. They called him. He went up and got her. Couldn't find the male. He had to go away. And while he was away, the guy taking care of his kennel was like, when he got back, he's like, this dog just showed up, you know, went in the kennel, you know, looks, you know, like your dogs. He's like, you know, wouldn't let me handle them or anything. Dog had traveled 150 miles home. And went home. Yep. Wow, that's amazing. But yeah, you're you're completely right that, I don't know of anybody that really has a dog that homes because, like you said, we we just go get them. Yep. You know, it's good and bad, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I I use a Garmin Alpha, and it's it's good and bad, hmm. and I really think it made bear hunting almost too easy when I first started bear hunting. Put on your PF flyers, took your compass and your thirty thirty, <laughs> and if you didn't keep the dogs in hearing, you were out of it. Yeah. And eventually they came out with the old beep beep collars, and we got them, and then they improved them, and eventually they came out with this satellite stuff, and it it made it a lot easier. But I know a lot of <clears throat> a lot of bears wouldn't get killed if we didn't have these things. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
it's it's changed the game significantly. Yeah. Yep. So so, so back to the <clears throat> leopard dogs. I don't want to get off on a tangent on this <laughs> electronics. I'm a dinosaur. I hardly can use a computer. Right have to do something i gotta get my grandkids to program my tv or whatever so i'm not a fan of electronics but i do use them you manage pretty well <laughs> so but yeah let's talk about some of the leopard dogs you've had through through the years i mean you've you've told me a lot of stories and i, I love listening to them, to them because you just have so many you've had so many dogs through the years and so many dogs that i've i've seen in pedigrees i've or you've hunted with them and You've known a lot of these guys, so, um, and like you said, you've you've hunted a lot of dogs from different lines. So, I know you've had a couple well-known dogs like Tide, um, or dogs that were re- really closely related to well-known dogs. Like you said, your Jack dog was a half brother to Shiner, and Shiner was, you know, kind of like Nimrod, bred to a lot of females. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a hunter, Ben. I'm not a dog breeder. I don't advertise, you know, I I probably have had around, and I'm just taking a guess, you're probably between 40 and 50 leopard dogs mm-hmm. in my career. Um, I, I'm not a, I don't have a puppy mill. If I make a breeding, it's for me. Mm-hmm. And I either, most of the time I give away the, the excess but lately i because i've got so much invested in bear hunting i started selling a few puppies the last bit here and uh but even then you've only made in the last five years made what two, two crosses two crosses yeah yeah same same female different males mm-hmm. um the first cross was a blade creek dog named bobby actually bobby ray <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I quit calling him, I just called him Bobby. Um, I bred him to a, a female that I have, a black and tan female. Bobby was a, and he looked like Hang a, on one second, for everyone that's listening, if you're not familiar with leopards, black and tan in color, but not black and tan in the breed. Right, right, yeah. Um, Bobby on one side looked like a leopard spotted dog, and on the other side he, he looked kind of like a plot dog would be. And... Uh, I bred him and Lady, and that litter, the dogs that got hunted, made really good dogs. We're going to go hunting with, with one tomorrow. We're mm-hmm. making a special trip to go hunt. I kept this. I, I kept a male and a female out of that litter, and my friend Scott Wallace got a male. He got it up to about six months old or seven months old. I don't remember the exact age, and... He was big enough, he started hunting him a little bit, and he got run over, and Scott was just tore up over it. So I talked it over with my wife, and I said, let's, you know, let's just give him, I named this dog Blade Creek Bear Tugger. (laughs) We we call him Tug. And he's a leopard-spotted male. I gave him to Scott, who's an excellent houndsman. You know, good, hard bear hunter, I mean, you know, very knowledgeable guy, just getting into leopards, actually. And he, Tug's made a really top dog. Mm-hmm. I gave Mike View a couple pups, a male and a female. They're, he, he only coon hunts, and they're 
really good coon dogs. And I kept one I called Blondie, and she's a good bear dog. I don't, I don't coon on her. Hmm. And so Scott was always on me. You got to make that cross again. You got to make that cross again. And I didn't. And eventually Bobby had a stroke and died. And so I took a, a Glade Creek bred male and bred him with Lady. She's getting old. She only had three pups. Mm-hmm. And uh, President Trump was the president at the time. So I named my leopard spotted male Trump. <laughs> and so everybody gets a big kick out of it. I'm yeah. running him on bear. He's he's young. This is his first bear season, but he's mm-hmm. doing good. He's a keeper. Yeah. I don't know exactly how good he's going to be yet, you know, but mm-hmm. he's a keeper. So anyway, I didn't have a lot of puppies. I Because of Richard, you know, I could get a puppy just about any time I needed one from him. Yeah. And so I didn't do a lot of dog breeding. I, You know, I think you really... Certain people are good dog breeders, and most people aren't. Mm-hmm. They just, oh, you got a walker, and I got a walker. Let's make some puppies. And if you really do it right, you, the best way to stabilize your line of dogs is either family breeding or inbreeding or line breeding. Mm-hmm. And if you make these wild outcrosses, <clears throat> you just you go backwards. You have to. You really have to family breed to get it. To get what you want, and most people can't do that, and don't know, don't have the knowledge to do it. So, and I'm one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't do a lot of breeding. I did. I got a lot of pups and young dogs. Um, I think I said earlier about Dean gave me the Bonnie yep. dog, and you know a lot of people knew me. I I didn't go to a lot of hunts, but you know. A lot of people knew me, and they would want me to get a puppy from them or a young dog from them and, and bear hunt it. I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I do a little bit of coon hunting. Um, I start my dogs on coons, and then I break them off from them. But I'm strictly a bear hunter primarily, and that's what I've did um, since about 1970. Okay. Um, from 66 to 70, I, I was coon hunting. But mm-hmm. I went on a bear hunt, and I was hooked immediately. I know and, the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I broke myself off from coons. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not an option for me. I don't live in bear yeah, you're country. Not, well, Pennsylvania's got some big bears. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, our game commission <laughs> uh, says otherwise about running bear. Yeah, yeah. I wish, because we do have some big ones. Oh, yeah, and you got beautiful country there with the mountains and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be nice. For now, I'll just keep going south <laughs> and occasionally up here to the great north. Yeah, yeah, if you don't get too many demerits on this trip, you'll be able to come <laughs> back. I've got quite a few today. <laughs> well, you're learning. <laughs> yep. I failed as the navigator, you know, place I've never been. <laughs> I failed at turning the GPS on yesterday because I didn't realize that was my, my, my part of my job. Ben, Ben's not saying everything. My wife hunts with me now that she's retired. And she does a lot of navigating, and 
putting collars on the dogs or whatever. And Ben wasn't doing it, so I started giving him, because <laughs> he took my wife's spot. Um, so I started giving him demerits to yep. help him out a little bit. Hopefully but tomorrow I can maybe get back <laughs> on the plus side. Do something right. So well, you're learning. But now we had a rough day today, I know. Um what I, what, what do you think happened today overall? Well, foggy days aren't good days for some reason. And several of us have talked about that. Scott Wallace, myself, Jay Hud Joe Hudson, um Jay, our friend Jay, I mean and We've all come to the same conclusion. It's just something in the atmosphere and conditions just mm -hmm. isn't conducive to good hunting. And I wanted to show my dogs off today, and I fell flat on my face. <laughs> like I said, they're dogs, and they make flyers out of us all the time. Yeah, when you, yeah. especially when you're trying to make, trying to promote to them impress and show somebody. Them. Sure, but uh, it wasn't just your dogs. Plenty of other people's dogs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, acted a fool today. Yeah, and I, you know, I hunt with this same group of guys and i've hunted with them for quite a few years now i know what kind of, they all hunt hounds um and i know what kind of dogs they got and i mean we all look pretty bad well for for reference yesterday you know we we had a bear treed killed yep. and out of the woods by 10 o'clock yep yep and the dogs look like a million bucks today <laughs> they weren't worth a penny <laughs> just the way it goes yeah so how long have you lived in the up um i was my mother's from marquette so i've been coming up here all my life but i moved up here in 1974 okay um i was raised in flint and back then the car industry was booming in flint mm -hmm. um throughout all the general motors and and uh, AC Delco was there. Um, we had a uh, big manufacturing place. They called it Turnsteads. They did all the dashes. And there was, you know, side side jobs, you know, tool and die shops, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it, there was about 300,000 pe 300, people employed. Okay. So my sister went to college and got a teaching degree, and she started out making $3,500 a year, and I was making $10,000 a year working at Buick at the car factory. Mm -hmm. And so when I was in school, nobody pushed the guys to go to college. Mm -hmm. They all said graduate and, you know, get in, get, get in one of the car factories, good benefits, good money. And it yeah. was, it it really was, mm -hmm. but I couldn't stand working inside. I hated it. I I was on a farm <laughs> when I was raised up, and I didn't like working inside. And I, in 1974, I wanted to go deer hunting, and they wouldn't let me have the time off because so many people with more seniority had already put in for it. I got mad and I quit. I told my wife, "Well." We'll move up to the UP and, you know, we'll get jobs. We'll get it figured out. And we did. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was great. You know, we raised, I got three children. I got a girl and two boys. Raised them up here. 
my one boy uh, was working at the Pentagon, and he was just a country kid from downtown Tronic, which is a flashing light crossroads, <laughs> and he made it all the way to the Pentagon. Now he's in, in Texas working. Um, my daughter's a teacher. She went to college, got a teaching degree, and my youngest boy's a mechanic. Nice. And, uh, you know, it was a good place to raise kids. I I, mm-hmm. I love to hunt and fish. I, I told you earlier I quit two good jobs and moved to a foreign country to be a deer hunter. Deer hunting's my <laughs> other passion. I quit Buick, and then I was working for the Postal Service up here. And once again, I was a low man on the totem pole. The way I like to deer hunt, I like to cut a buck's track and walk them down. And it's a hard way to kill deer, but it's it's the type of hunting that I like. Mm-hmm. I was going down, leaving my house to go to work, and it was deer season, and they wouldn't let me have time off, and I was pouting a little bit anyway. And I seen a big buck track went across my driveway. And so I turned around, went back up to the house, and I called my postmaster that I worked for and told him I was quitting. He didn't want me to. He said, you're too good of an employee. I don't want you to quit. And I said, well, we're not getting very many hours. Once the, once the mail was sorted, you go home. Okay. And I was driving 70 miles a day to work, you know, four to six hours most days. Mm-hmm. And I, once again, I didn't like working inside. And so I just quit. I took that buck track and I killed it. Um, took me all day. I had to go get a, my son-in-law and a couple other guys to help me get it out of the woods. I shot it back in the bush quite a ways. Uh, it was a big 12-pointer, it's a little bit over 200 pounds. I can't remember exactly what it was. He was like 208 or something, 206. Nice buck for our neck of the woods for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Well, then I got a magazine called Big Buck, <clears throat> and my wife bought it for me for present or whatever and uh, man they're killing these monster deer in Canada western Canada so I hunted up there I hunted Manitoba a couple times and I went to Saskatchewan and it was much better and took me a while but I finally convinced my wife we should move up there and I just (laughs) built her a new log house first new house she'd ever had and uh, we went up there and I was up there for about 12 years and I hurt my back I blew two discs uh, or yeah two discs and uh, I had surgery up there it wasn't very good and my wife by this point in time had become a nurse and whatnot so we knew a surgeon back in the UP so yeah, I had an outfitting business. We had to sell it. I just couldn't physically do it anymore. And uh, we moved back. I had surgery, and he got me pretty good, but mm-hmm. I'm not 100%. Like uh, we were talking, you know, unfortunately, back, in, back injuries just never yeah, never go. Yeah. Or you're never right again. And, it, you know, it's really hurt me for bear hunting because we don't have a lot of roads. And 
got to do a lot of walking. We have a lot of swamps. It's rough. It's not a, It's not an easy bear hunt for sure. Yeah, it's thick up here. I know. A couple of years ago, the dogs were just in too deep, and I knew I couldn't go that far and get back out. So I asked one of the guys I was hunting with, if he bring my dogs out? And he said, sure. He left, and I started crying. Um, men aren't, you know, men aren't supposed to cry, supposedly, but <laughs> it broke my heart. That's the first time in my life that I never went to my dogs. And I just can't do it anymore. I'm 74 years old now. And I hunt with, you know, I've hunted with these guys for quite a few years and known them for 30 years probably. Mm-hmm. And they, they take good care of me. And uh, I'm very, very grateful because I couldn't do it by myself anymore. Yeah, no, I've, you know, I've never met it, any of the guys you hunted with until yesterday. and. Seem like a great group of guys. Yeah, they're they're okay. We all got our faults, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they're pretty good guys. Mm-hmm. They they'll see the light. They're all hound hunters, but <laughs> they've seen what my leopards dogs can do, and I, I, I they'll be they'll be coming around eventually. <laughs> Hopefully, one day. Yep. Yep. So, so I'll I'll tell you about. Tippy. She didn't she didn't hunt out very far. You had to walk her. You know, she'd go out maybe fifty yards or hundred yards. But where I lived, it was lots of cornfields and almost pretty much mile square, you know, pieces of land. Mm-hmm. And I'd just walk her around the edge of cornfields and she would get on a coon and, you know, she would run and tree good, stay treed. She was a good dog. Um, and then I hunted with a guy, Ricky. He was a younger, quite a bit younger than me. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, had a, he had a dog that was out of Nimrod and Ginger. And she was really good, straight. So I made a, a deal with him, and I got, I traded a truck to him for the <laughs> This dog. Not just a truck. A brand new truck. Well, it wasn't quite brand new. But, but pretty new. Yeah. I wanted her pretty bad. And he knew he had me, so he got as much out of me as he could. <laughs> My wife wasn't too proud of me for a while, but she got over it. But anyway, she was a really good dog. Um, I tried to bear hunter, and that was right when I got into, started getting into bear hunting. And she wouldn't run a bear uh, straight check dog deluxe if the dogs were on any kind of trash at all she'd be back instantly mm-hmm. tell on them and uh, she just wouldn't run a bear and then i got i had them two dogs and then i got my jack dog there was a fellow in illinois named bill gussie and he had leopard dogs i bought a pup from him and it just didn't pan out. I was coon hunting still. Mm-hmm. And so my I worked second shift, and when I got home from work, my dad called me and said, hey, there was some guy here looking for you, and he left a dog here. You got to come get it. And it was Jack. Well, Bill Gussie had went down to one of the hunts, and England, Cliff England had this Jack dog. So Bill got it 
for a replacement for the pup that I got from him. I didn't have a clue he was going to do it. But he liked me, I guess, and I liked him. We were pretty good friends. So Jack was a really good dog. Um, he won the Michigan State Championship twice. Um, the first time he won the, back then, they had registered in grade, and mm -hmm. he won the grade. And then the next year, he won the over, he was high-scoring dog of the overall hunt. Wow. Um, yeah, he was a really good coon dog. I converted him over finally to a bear dog. He got old. I got to be friends with Billy Stiles. Billy had come up and coon, coon hunted, and uh, he asked me if he could take Jack back down to South Carolina and use him, you know, do some breeding with him. And he bred him quite a bit, and he produced a lot of good dogs. Now, is Jack the dog you coyote hunted too? What's that? Is Jack the dog you coyote hunted too? No, I had a female named Megan that I coyote hunted. Okay. But I I only did that for a couple, two, three years. I don't remember exactly how long, but it was all snowshoeing. The coyotes won more than probably about 95% of the time. Gotcha. Um, they'd either get in a bunch of blowdowns where we couldn't get them out or, you know. I just remember seeing a picture of you. Of you and one of your dogs and some coyotes that you've killed at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I think that probably that picture, I had my snowshoes stuck in the snowbank, and a friend of mine took that picture. Mm -hmm. she, I got her from, uh, I think I got her from Red Martin. Okay. Um, She was a blue leopard spotted, kind of a mouse-colored leopard spotted dog. Mm -hmm. Real good coon dog. Decent bear dog. And a decent coyote dog. Now, you said you broke yourself off of coon hunting, but there's some fur receipts over <laughs> here on your wall that say you, that say otherwise. I The one receipt, I want to say, has like like $15,000 from one season. <laughs> well, I, I, in the late 70s, our coons were bringing $65. And I was... And that's I for a regular coon. That wasn't like... The triple X. The triple X was like over a hundred dollars. Um, no, the fur our fur buyers would only give us sixty five for them. We couldn't get the better. Our coons are dark up here, and they wanted silver ones, and ours are pretty dark. They look like but, bear cubs. <laughs> I saw one dead on the roadside coming up here, and I thought it was a bear cub at first. But I had a I had a dog named Curly then that I coon hunted, and. He wouldn't hunt a lick, but he'd rode real good. He was a second-gear road dog. I mean, you he really rode it hard. And in three years, I became a professional coon hunter for them three years, and I sold <laughs> just a hair over $27,000 worth of coons off that dog. He died when he was seven years old, and he just wore out. Mm -hmm. I just I hunted him so hard, he one time he, he ran one bear. He was a straight dog, good check dog. And <clears throat> he ran one bear. I lost him for about a week. And that was right when the tracking collars were coming in, but I didn't have one yet. I was too poor. And uh, I finally got him back, and, oh, gosh, a bear bit him through the top of his head, and his head was all swollen up, and... You could, his eyes were just slits, and some people found him, and they 
they took him to a bar that was in our community, and the bar owner knew me, I, and they uh, called me and said they had my dog there, so I went and got him, and he was in tough shape. Well, I got him healed up, nursed him through that, and about in January, he, he started acting goofy, and a, uh, when that bear bit him through the top of his skull, a chip of that, um, unbeknownst to me, was putting pressure on his brain. Okay. So I had to take him to a vet. And um, they got it diagnosed and fixed right away. And he, he, like I said, he died when he, I can't remember if he was seven or eight. He wasn't very old. Okay. But that vet told me he had never <laughs> seen a dog he said, man, I could not give this dog a shot. He was so muscled up. He said, I just had a hard time getting the needle to go in. And that was because I rode him so much. Yeah. I'll tell you a story. I don't know how much of this you want on your podcast. Oh, this, is, what, this is why we're doing this. <laughs> I, I've listened to you tell me these stories over the phone for the last couple of years. And I'm just like, this is what needs to be recorded because these are awesome old stories, especially if you're interested in leopards, especially if you're just interested in old something stories. Sure, yeah. Well, I got to be, I got to know Billy Stiles and his friend Clay Livingston, and they came up to hunt with me. And I had a Chevrolet Citation car. It was the only vehicle we had, so I coon hunted out of it. <laughs> and... Uh, so they want, you know, I told Billy we got, you know, 30 to 35-pound coons up here, no problem. We'd get one that big. And I think he told me the biggest coon he ever killed was 17 pounds. He lived in South Carolina. Billy was a prince of a guy. Got killed in a logging accident. But anyway, they come up, and we went hunting, and we, I don't know, first night... <laughs> I was telling them how big our coons were, and we were going around. The, there was a road that went around the edge of this big lake. Big, it's called Round Lake. It's a big, pretty circular lake. So, <clears throat> dogs hit a hit a track. Treed in the guy's yard. There was about ten cabins on this lake, and they had to pick a guy's yard to tree in. So we hurried up there. We run up there, and we had a, all had on. Hat lights. Mm-hmm. Well, this guy come to his back door in his underwear, and he had a flashlight, <laughs> and he was holding it up on top of his head like, you know, he thought we had flashlights, I guess. And we had four dogs, and they were all hard, hard tree dogs. And, I mean, they're just blowing the top out of this great big white pine tree. I've always hunted with a twenty-two pistol. I never carried a rifle. So we asked the guy if we could kill the coon. Oh, yeah. He said, I don't want to get my garbage, kill him, you know. So I started squalling, and Billy was squalling. I finally seen an eye, so I shot. And Clay said he come down like a silk handkerchief. <laughs> <laughs> it was about a five- or six-pound kitten coon. And he said it just kind of whiffed its way down to the ground. And we had four dogs, and they, they couldn't all get on it. It was so small. And all the time we was shooting it and all of that, this guy's walking around in his underwear on a frosty October night. 
and uh, uh, uh. with his flashlight on his head and oh he just he said man i've never seen anybody cool not that's that's something you know <laughs> billy and clay thought you were the biggest liar oh yeah <laughs> they really laid it on me you know well later that night we did kill a big coon and he had a bob tail he didn't have a full tail and it weighed 34 pounds and clay always said if he'd had a full tail he'd weighed 35 <laughs> So <clears throat> Clay had a jacket that uh, you could put game, you know, it had like a game pouch in it. Yep. And he wanted to carry it. And I said, yeah, I ain't, we ain't carrying this thing. I said, we'll just lay it on the side of the road. I know where I'm at. You know, we'll go get the, the Chevy Citation and pick it up. So we walked quite a ways back to our vehicle. I got a little bit turned around, and I took <laughs> I gave him the scenic route. So we get in the car, and I couldn't find the coon. I couldn't remember what road it was on. We drove along a little bit, and Clay's like, I told you, Billy, we shouldn't have never laid that thing down. We're never going to find it, and we're never going to get one that big again. He was just (laughs) carrying on like crazy. Well, I finally found it. I realized where I was and was able to get it. So they took it back to South Carolina, and they had it mounted, and they went to coon hunts. and. They'd tell lie and tell everybody, yeah, if they knew where they hunted, yeah, I, I got them over here, I got them over there. Well, they lied to so many people, everybody got, you know, <laughs> talking, and <laughs> they finally got exposed. <laughs> but yep. I became very good friends with both of them. Billy was, both of them were just really good, good Christian men. Mm-hmm. And Billy, he he had uh, Huddleston's Julie, Bread Jacter. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think he, he had some, this is quite a few years ago now when this happened. Would this so, have been seventies, eighties? Um, probably he got killed in the late eighties, early nineties. I can't remember exactly then. Okay. But, um, he, he bred Jack to probably at least 10 times or so. Mm-hmm. Um, he Jack produced a lot of good pups for him. Um, when I had that curly dog, I took a guy with me that had never coon hunted before, and curly treated a litter of coons. But you know he'd bark here, bark there, and you know running a track, and finally treed. So when we got to the tree, this guy's name was Kim, and he said, "Oh." He said, that dog's so smart, I don't know how it ever got all them coons up one tree. <laughs> I never, ever told him the difference. I let him believe that he, That's funny. he herded them up. But uh, You also had a pretty well-known dog named Tide. Yeah, you? yeah. I bought yeah. her from James Cantrell. Well, Tide was her call name, but on, on her papers, it was what, Odell's like 50? Yes. Yeah. That's a thought. A guy named Ralph Adell, uh, James Cantrell bred soccer um another pretty famous dog mcduffie dog uh, to a mcduffie female and ralph got tied as a pup and raised her up i was going over to wisconsin like i said earlier and james cantrell came up and she was a whiz bang. She'd rig, she'd tree hard, fight a bear hard, 
cold nose. I mean, just a really good dog. And I finally weaseled her out of James. And uh, she was probably one of my better bear dogs that I've had. Okay. Um, I never bred her. I, I, I had her for, oh, gosh, four or five, six years, whatever it was. And then I was going to move to Canada. So I called James up and asked him if he wanted her back. And he did. He drove up from eastern Kentucky, got up here in a raging, screaming three-day blizzard, never seen <laughs> nothing like it. <laughs> and he had his new, he'd gotten remarried, and he had his new wife with him, and she didn't like that snow at all. <laughs> so <laughs> he was going to leave, and I told him, I said, well, you know, this is going to blow, you know, three-day storms are common up here, or were at that time. And uh, I said, this will blow over, you know, and then they'll get the roads plowed and everything. And he said, no, we're, <laughs> we don't like this. We're going. So that was the last time I seen James. I moved to Canada and, you know, mm -hmm. we fell, you know, drifted apart because of that. Yep. But uh, I really liked her. I hunted with her brother. Um, and I cannot remember that guy's name. Mike Toth brought him. Um, and he had a, his, he had a male and he called him Buck. And... He wanted to see Tyden Buck tree a bear. So we did. And this man had a motor home. And uh, so that's what the Mike and him was staying in. And he just wanted them two dogs to go, no other dogs. So we treat a bear. Did a good job. Both dogs did a good job. I got to be pretty good friends with Mike. I hunted with him a lot. I don't know how many times, but quite a few. Now, you've mentioned the Wisconsin trip a couple times. and. And I've read stories about Wisconsin, the annual Wisconsin get-together that you guys would have, that a lot of leopard guys would have. Can you just touch on, like, how that came about and yeah, some of the guys that came up to that? Yep. Um, Randy Oller lived in California, northern California, and <clears throat> he had sold a dog to a puppy to this guy in Wisconsin who bear hunted. And so Randy was there, drove from California, took him four days. But he he had a real good outfitter's tent, nice setup. You know, he was set up for camping. He did it lots. Randy was a school teacher, so he had his summers off. And he'd go run bear or mountain lions or whatever. And so he had a nice setup. So Richard McDuffie and Clay Livingston got wind of it, and and um, Richard knew Randy over the phone, but they had never met person to person. Anyway, they came up and uh, <clears throat> was hunting, you know, hunted a couple days with Randy, and so then Richard and Clay wanted to come over where I lived, so they came over to Michigan where I lived and, and uh, talked me into going back. So I went back with them. I didn't take a dog. I just went back with them. And Richard rode, I had a Toyota pickup that a bear hunted out of. Richard rode me and Clay drove their rental car. So Richard and I had an opportunity to, you know, have a good chat. It was about a four hour trip. And uh, it just started blossoming from there. Um, Randy knew Mike Toth. So 
Mike came the next year. Randy and Randy had three eleven-month-old dogs. He had two males and a female, and they. Randy spends a tremendous amount of time with his dogs, and he was a very good dog handler. I know a lot of people didn't like Randy when he got the registry, but that's a whole other story. But anyway, these three dogs, Randy claimed we treated 38 bears in 30 days. I know we treated 32 or 33, but his count was a little bit higher than mine. But I, I, I probably was wrong. I mean, I'm sure Randy knew what he was doing. And uh, I just, I don't keep that exact amount. Um, but anyway, those dogs really turned out to be really good dogs. All three of them. Mm -hmm. They were from Sprott and Liz, who were out of uh, Hobo 2 and Sheba. Okay. And Which is all old McDuffie blood. Yeah. Yep. Sprott was dead. Um, I think Liz might have still been alive, but Randy didn't bring her. She was getting old. And, uh, but boy, I was really impressed with them dogs. And, you know, I talked to guys, you know, Randy, you know, people would call or whatever. And people started coming. James came there, James Cantrell, Mike Toth and his buddy, um, Dean Boyster came up there. Steve Ingram came up there. Steve Gordon come up there. I mean, there was a lot of people come up there. But to really... To really do well on bear, you gotta your dogs gotta be in they gotta be in peak physical condition. Mm -hmm. A lot of these guys were bringing coon dogs that were overweight and hadn't been hunted since the fall before, and this was July yeah. when we were going up there. And um, you know, their dogs did as good as they could, but you know, there's a big difference between a coon dog and a bear dog. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got a chance to meet a lot of guys and meet a lot of friends. It was a good thing, and then I moved to Canada, and it all kind of fell apart. Wisconsin got loaded up with wolves up in that area, yeah, and people just wouldn't go up there. They just, you know. Because that was kind of, there was basically two different kind of leopard, I don't know, the only two, but two big leopard meetings a year in Wisconsin, and then they had a big hunt down at the, the leopard den. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was down to the leopard den a lot over the years. For the folks um, listening, the Leopard Den was, was a club. Mm -hmm. It was a, O'Neill Bennett owned it. It was a tobacco barn, and it was on his property, and they fixed it up and made a, made a clubhouse out of it, and we all mm -hmm. stayed there. And I, like I was telling you, I hunted with Wayne's brother, who mm -hmm. I thought was his uncle, but you <laughs> you got that genealogy figured out for me. And, um, oh, I hunted with Tommy Goodman, O'Neill Bennett, Tommy Bird, Rex Bowers was a young man, or Rex Laker, I mean, I'll get it right in a minute, Rex Bowers. He was a teenager. I'm, um, he was, he was kind of Richard's protege. Um, Richard was a Baptist preacher, and he was preaching in the, mountains there in North Carolina where Rex lived and mm -hmm. Rex liked hunting and you know they kind of Richard kind of took him under his wing got him started in dogs and stuff and um, 
Oh gosh, I can't. I'm a lot of uh, a lot of guys. Bill Gussie was there one time when I was there. Um, Buzzy Metters was there. I hunted with him. We'd all get together and, uh, you know, three or four of us would go one night and, you know, everybody mixed up so you could get a chance to watch everybody else's dogs and stuff. Yeah. It was, and it was, it was a nice place to hunt. Definitely for a small breed, it was kind of a, I think it was kind of a cool thing because you got to be able to experience the other, see what the other lines were producing and other people, mm-hmm. people's dogs. So you kind of yep. gauge things. Um, the uh, the area it was rough country, you know, mountain country, and there was a fair amount of coons, but there was places where people had hog feeders, <laughs> so we got lazy and started hunting coons off them hog feeders <laughs> because, you know, it was easy to find the coons there usually. Oh yeah. Um, Richard had. Uh, Nimrod Shadow. Uh, one time when I, a couple times when I was there, and Richard always told me he was the coldest nosed leopard he'd ever seen. Um, he would hunt hard, hunt wide, um, grub out an old track, tree, stay treed. You know, he was a good tree dog and stuff, and he he, but he had a lot of health issues. Richard was giving him carrot juice and all kinds of <laughs> concoctions <laughs> that he had come up with. He had, uh, what actually ended up happening, he had some kind of a thyroid issue. Okay. And, uh, but Richard was trying to home remedy him, and eventually <laughs> he had to take him to a vet and got it figured out. Yeah. But he was a pretty good dog. I hunted with him. Um. Guys would bring their dogs there to get them permanently registered. You know, they were going by the the old rule where you had to three three people would verify that the dog could run and tree a coon. Mm-hmm. Richard Richard was a visionary. He got these leopard dogs started. Um, when squirrel hunting became popular, he saw that coming and he started the uh, camas curs. Mm-hmm. Um, the McCurdy horses, they were plantation-type trotter horses. Basically, they were almost the same thing as a Tennessee walker. Yeah. Um, the old-time farm shepherds. And a- as the people, different people came there and stuff, Richard was, you know, he had contact with a lot of people. And this was back when we didn't have free long-distance calling, you know. It was very expensive to talk on the phone, but Richard was a letter writer. and. You know, that's how I, you know, uh, conversed with him most of the time was through letters. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people came there, you know, because of Richard and because of the dogs. And, you know, everybody was always really nice. You know, I was a new kid on the block, and they were nice to me. I mean, you know, everybody introduced themselves, and I had a great time there many times. Mm-hmm. I went, the first time I went there, I went with Billy Stiles. Okay. And... uh you know, we hunted and um, had a lot of fun, a lot of storytelling, a lot of lying. <laughs> like know? the last couple of days? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much that. But um, Now, shoot, if I wish 
we could have had this thing rolling in the truck. We've we've you've been telling me all kinds of good stories, and we've been going back and forth the last two days. Well, I don't want to bore you with too many stories, but I I'm very fortunate. I'm probably one of the oldest guys that's had leopard dogs the longest. Mm-hmm. Um, Rex Laker was a young younger fellow. His dad, John Laker, was his dad, and I met them down at Autumn Oaks, I think it was, or Kenton, Ohio, maybe. I don't even remember what they called that big hunt they had there. But Rex Laker was maybe 12 years old, you know, and I was an adult man. And uh, he had a half-brother to Jack. I think he called that, I'm pretty sure he called that dog Blue Streak. Mm-hmm. Um and he was a good dog. I coon, we coon hunted one night with him, and he did very good. Um, nothing wrong with him. And Rex was water racing him, and uh, down there, and you know he was racing against hybrid dogs. You know that yeah, the we're great, all you know Greyhound Cross. Yeah, the the really good water racers, and man, he he put it on him bad with that dog, and. Uh, I'd never been to nothing like it. I only went there once. And, that, I mean, anything that could have been sold would, was sold there, you know, was offered for sale. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a pretty wild place. Um, seen, a, seen a couple fist fights and, <laughs> you know, whatnot. But Rex, I want to, uh, Rex and his dad had got the blue dog. And they also had a dog, Martin's doll. She was out of Nimrod. I can't remember the female. But she was a really nice, well-built leopard dog, nice-looking dog. Um, Was a good dog herself. I hunted with her. I hunted with that blue dog one night, and then I hunted with her the next night. And, you know, they were good coon dogs. And probably Rex Bowers... Is and them two Rex guys were in it probably as long as I was. Rex Bowers might have been in it just a hair longer because of mm-hmm. living so close to Richard. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like yeah. we were talking earlier, there's just not a lot of the guys that were were involved back then. I have either stuck, that are are still alive or still involved. Yeah. I I have stuck with the leopard dogs. I had one blue tick. And I had a couple plots over the years, but I've I've always had leopard dogs. Um, When I moved to Canada, I sold all my dogs but Woody and Bonnie, and it was illegal to run bear with dogs up there, and I didn't know it, so I took my dogs up there and found out I couldn't run them, so I ended up letting one of the guys I bear hunted with here in the UP, um, he bought them off from me. and. so there was a brief time in there when I, I didn't have a dog when I, you know, all the time I was in Canada. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I got back, you know, I right away wanted to start bear hunting, and and uh, I bought some dogs, a couple of dogs, and they were coon dogs, but you know they just didn't pan out. And I got online and started looking for dogs, and so. I got involved with Brandon's dogs, and I've never had a a cull. 
I've had some that were better than others and that kind of thing, but they, he's really got some good dogs for a big game. Mm-hmm. For, I mean, we have lots of water here, incredible amounts of beaver dams and swamps and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And where Brandon lives, you really got to want to be a hunter <laughs> if you can <laughs> hunt there. It's either straight up or straight down. Yep, that's southern West Virginia. <laughs> yeah, and... He, you know, his dogs are tough, you know, and and they made good bear dogs. Um, I'm trying to think. I probably have had, I don't know, six or eight, ten, not ten, six or eight of dogs from Brandon, and I really like them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're gritty. They got good noses. They're good tree dogs. Um, they're more true type leopard cur, you know, and. When UKC got involved, I think that was a really bad thing for the leopard breed. Um, Richard didn't want it, for sure. Um, he, you know, he he cautioned me, you know, when back in the late 90s, you know, that there was rumblings of going UKC and mm-hmm. he, he told me, he said, it'll be the downfall of these dogs. UKC is nothing more than a, a registry, a pl- you know, a place to keep records of, of dogs. And it, you know, they, Richard, when he did the breed standard and all the things that he did, you know, like I said earlier, you had to have three people sign an affidavit and it had to be notarized and everything. Your dog could run in Tree of Coon, and I'm not knocking UKC, but, you know, you could you could breed two culls and get your puppies registered kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. And instead of having a performance-based registry, mm-hmm. yep. where that's what Richard tried to yep. head started. Yep. Um, I've, t- I've told you all this stuff. I'm probably just repeating myself to you, but Richard started the registry. He sold it to Billy Williams. Billy Williams sold it to Michael Knight's dad. James, I believe. Yeah, James Knight. And they sold it to Steve Ingram. Steve Ingram sold it to Randy Aller. And, and now Scott Gordon has it. Randy gave it to, he was going to will it to Scott. And as Randy's health has deteriorated and stuff, he just gave it to him. He said, you might as well have it now. You're going to get it in the long run anyway. And so Scott has the registry uh, now. And Scott has a lot of old-type leopard cur-type dogs versus mm-hmm. leopard hounds. And yeah. I'm not trying to knock the hounds, but it just, I, I started out with leopard curs, and I liked them, and I still like them. Um, when we first start hunting, and our training season starts in July, uh, we have a quiet period from May 15th to July there. And then when July opens up, we can train our dogs. And we'll get outrun the first few times, unless we get lucky, you know. But most mm-hmm. of the time, we get outrun. Dogs get hardened up. We just don't have very many bears that get away from us. Um, the boys that I hunt with got good dogs. I got good dogs, and, you know, it's worked out. But like I told you, that the bear that we killed yesterday, uh, that was our 23rd bear since the 13th of September. Um, 
that we treed. My dogs haven't been on every one of those kills, but they've been in on 21 of them probably, 20, at least 20. Mm-hmm. Um, one day they, I thought we were rained out, so I didn't go, and them guys went and, and killed a bear, or treed a bear, I mean. And uh, I think one other time I wasn't with them, so. And we treat, you know, we treat a bunch in training season, and I don't know, I just, I've always liked the leopard dogs. They handle good. Yep. Um, you know, they're easy to train, you know. We rig some bears, but we primarily hunt off from baits. But we do rig some. My mm-hmm. dogs will rig. They're not real good rig dogs, but, you know, they will rig. Um, and the type of hunting that we do, it just, they they suit the, suit me just fine. Yeah. Um, You've seen today, I don't remember how far Lady was, a half a mile or something from us. And I toned her out, and, I mean, she came right out. Yeah. Um, you know, they're they're smart. They're easy to train that, you know, to the tone and that kind of stuff. And <clears throat> the guys, the guys that I know that are breeding leopard dogs now, I I really truly believe that Brandon's got the best dogs, and that's why I got them. If I could find something better, I would be knocking on that guy's door. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandon's worked hard to get his dogs where they are, and He's got it really almost perfected. <laughs> no, I've got a couple of Brandon's dogs. I've got a litter mate to the one dog you have out here. Um, my one female's a half sibling to a couple dogs out here. Yep. And, you know, not to mention she's related in other ways to other dogs, but as far as, like, being closely related, she's a half sister to two different, two different dogs out here. So, I mean, that's kind of yep. how we got hooked up was through Brandon. I, I called him looking for a dog, and he didn't have anything, so he referred me to you. Yeah, that's when I had the Lady Bobby cross there, yep. that litter. Now that I've got to know you, I would have give you the dog. <laughs> <laughs> I offered to give you back your money. Brand, right. uh, ben sold the dog to a hog hunter who loved him. Yep, he just, um, he just didn't work out to be a coon dog. He, he liked the bear that he saw. Yeah. But he he seemed to be wanted to be a big game dog. And, and uh, hog hunter contacted Brandon, so Brandon kind of hooked me and that guy up. and. I ended up sending that dog down there, and unfortunately, the guy loved him, but unfortunately, uh, he got hit on the road. So, um, I mentioned Scott Wallace a couple times earlier here. Um, our friend Jay Hoffman had a Dan McDonough bred leopard dog, a female, mm-hmm. and he bred it an accidental breeding to his walker, and so Scott got a puppy from that his name is rough he's an old dog now but he made a whale of a coon dog scott likes to coon hunt too he bobcat hunts bear hunts and coon hunts and does a little bit of coyote hunting but uh, when i moved back um i don't know he saw me mention something in one of the columns or something on on uh, the internet and got in touch with me and um, he knew, I always, he knew me, I knew Scott, we nicknamed him Bubba, he was just out of high school, and I always call him Bubba, but his name is Scott Wallace, but anyway, he, he, uh, got in contact with me, and I had hunted with Scott, oh, in the, you know, 
around 81 or 82 to the mid-90s, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. We had hunted quite a bit together. Um, I was hunting most of the time with Joe Hudson, a plot guy, who has really good dogs, by the way. Um, leopards aren't the only thing that walks on water. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he, he, uh, he had really good plots, and Scott and I hunted with him lots. And uh, when I... When Scott got that half leopard dog, he became very interested in him. And he's got several leopards now. He's got a couple, I think, I don't know, one or two from Brandon's line of dogs. He got a nice young male that's doing pretty good for him from Scott Gordon. Mm-hmm. Um, he got that one from me. And, you know, he's becoming a dyed in wool leopard guy now. Yep. And, uh, you know, to each his own. You know, if you want to run the walkers, I don't care. You know, I'm not going to browbeat you how good the leopards are. It's just what I like. Yep. No, that's, that's kind of the same with me. Um, The guys what we were hunting with today, they asked me, you know, what I hunted and everything. And I said, I hunt leopards. I said, because they fit the style of dog that I, that yep. I like. I mean, especially for where I hunt. They just fit what I want. I don't want a, a you know, competition bred walker. It's just not my style of dog. Yeah, not that they're bad. It's yeah. just not what you want, you know. Exactly. So every breed has is different and every line's different. So it doesn't matter what you like. Well, I, I've told you this story before, but I'm going to tell it for this podcast. I, I hunted with a guy named Ricky and Coon hunted. He's the one. He was about 14 years old driving around out in the country with his dad's car. And I was fox hunting. That's how I met him. He gave me his telephone number. and He needed a chauffeur. He wasn't <laughs> old enough to drive. And you could get away with things different back in them days, too. And that's how I met him. Well, I went. he took me coon hunting. And that penny dog that I told you about, <clears throat> treated coon. And Ricky went up the tree, shook the coon out, and I was hooked. Man, that was the <laughs> un- most unbelievable fight I've ever seen in my entire life. Penny could kill almost any coons by herself. She was a very good kill dog. And I got hooked. And because of Ricky, that's how, you know, I, he had a leopard. I figured I'd get one, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got into him. Well, as the years went by and I met different people and stuff, I, I, I just... You know, like Billy Stiles was a great guy. You know, I got dogs from him. Um, Richard always treated me very well. Um, he'd send up three puppies. I'd hunt them, get them started, teach them to load, whatever. And he'd let me pick which one I wanted to keep. Um, he did a really good job with his breeding. And, you know, knew his stuff. He was, you know... I went to college and actually studied genetics and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just I just bumped into the like the cream of the crop leopard guys over the years. Yeah. And I haven't been active lately because of my age. And I live out in the middle of nowhere now, you know, in the UP here. And, mm-hmm. you know, everything happens down south of where I am, four or 500 miles. They just ha- actually, they just had a leopard... Uh, qualifier 
Yeah, that section on Lower Michigan. Yeah, at the at and I was I was president of a coon club in uh, Chesney, Michigan, which isn't too far from where they had that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Tara Winters was the driving force behind that one. Yep, and she got it all set up and stuff. She did a lot of work for the you know for the breed, and you know. I thought about going down to it, but I'm getting fidgety in my old age, and I don't like long rides anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've worked, you know, eight ten hours, jumped in the car and drove for ten hours to go see a dog kind of thing. I just don't do that anymore. Yep. No, it sounds like these leopards really made a big difference in your life, and they've. Yep. You've met a lot of people, and I know in in the short time I've been involved with them, I've met some great people, and. I've gotten to experience some great stuff like coming up here. I would have never been up here if I wouldn't have met you. So, well, you drove a long ways, Ben. Yeah, well, only you know, fifteen hours. No biggie. So, well, you know, I've got to hunt with some other people, you know. Um, sure. In Virginia and uh, yeah, West you're Virginia, good friends so. with Wayne Ansley. Yep, he's uh, a bear hunter. Yep, I'm gonna hunt with Wayne in December. Um, so, well, you told me he's bred his dogs down from, uh, from Rex, Rex Bowers. Bowers' dogs. Yep, and he's been doing it about thirty years or so. Yep. You he, said he got his first leopards. The funny thing is, is he's told me he goes, "I don't know what took me so long." He goes, "My brother had them, <laughs> you know, from the get go." He goes, "It took me up until the '90s to figure out to get them." And he goes, "Once I got them, he goes, my whole he goes, I hunted everything under the sun between there." Like once I got him, he goes. I got started getting consistent. Yeah, and so he's bred that line of dogs for the last thirty years. I I hunted with Wayne's brother Lewis, who I always thought was his uncle, in nineteen eighty one at mm-hmm. the Leopard Den, and he he had really good dogs. I mean, they were coon dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, I never knew Wayne. You know, I know him by name or whatever, but I I've never even talked to him. But mm-hmm. um. I've had I've had a couple dogs, you know, where Wayne's dogs were involved in it, and uh, I know over the years, you know, if he goes to one of these bear meets, he dominates it. Oh yeah, and he's got a he's got a female named Little Jazz, and uh, I've been to a few of the Virginia Bear Hunters trials, which is what he primarily goes to, and and she's won overall dog on quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. I well, I you know I follow him through the. Kerr column or the leopard columns, you know, that are on the internet. <clears throat> but uh, I, I've been very blessed. I've had some several once in a lifetime dogs. Um, I've met a lot of good people. I've had a lot of fun. I'm, you know, like I said, I was a professional coon hunter for three years there with Curly, and you know, the leopard dogs have been good to me, and mm-hmm. I. You know, I don't know why I got hung up on them. I just did. And I've hunted with a lot of good hounds. I mean, I'm not knocking the hound people at all. Um, there's good, good and bad in them, just like there is in the leopards. But they were just my kind of a dog, and that's that's what I like, and that's what I went for. Mm-hmm. And I've told you a lot of stories. I told you I'm very opinionated, and I am. <laughs> um, and I know it. But. I know what I want, and, you know, if somebody's got something better, um, I'll be the first guy to be 
knocking on their door trying to get some kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If I could find another Tide or another Jack or um, um, Megan and all the other dogs that I've had that were good dogs, I'd get one in a heartbeat. But, yep. You know, those those days are gone. It's a shame that the leopard people have the infighting and stuff that they have. Um, I think it's hurt the breed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people did behind the barn breedings trying to reinvent the wheel. And if you want a hound, go buy a hound. Don't ruin my breed of dogs kind of thing. That's how I feel about it. And I know that'll ruffle some feathers, but <laughs> I don't, you know, I'm not out to badmouth anybody. I'm just saying, you know, you can't reinvent the wheel. You know, if you, if people would have stuck to these leopard dogs, like some of us have, I, we'd have a lot of good dogs. Um, you know, and I just, people, the Midwest guys have stuck, Bill Boyster, his dad, you know, they, they've been in it since the eighties, sometime in the early eighties, I think. Um, quite a few guys, you mentioned the old Caw Valley dog, um, you know, oh, that was a good line of dogs. Yep. There's a few, there's, um. Unfortunately, there's not too many yeah. that, have, that have stayed, especially with the ALCBA. <clears throat> yep. ALCBA has very few dogs registered anymore. Yeah, and it, you but know, you it's can too still bad. Find, you can still find some within the UKC that still resemble the dogs from pre-leopard hound days. The, the bickering between the eastern North Carolina guys and the Missouri guys and the Midwest guys, mm-hmm. um, I really think that's hurt the breed and you know a lot of the unscrupulous breeders that have bred other things into them you know I I was very good friends with Richard McDuffie and you know he's told me stuff that I don't want to say on the podcast because I don't want to offend anybody but Mm -hmm. you know he he told me some of his biggest mistakes yeah and they were He'd register a dog, or a dog would get registered, I should say. And two years later, in 10 litters, he'd find out it was half blue tick or something. And, you know, what do you do? Yeah. You know, you're going to yank the papers on, on everybody, you know, because you just found out it was a mistake two years later to register the dog. It was an honor system. And actually, that's how I met Richard. I wanted to take Tippy and get her permanently registered. And he had people in different states that would do it. Had it all set up with this guy. Me and Ricky drove down to his house and it was raining. And he said, just give me your papers. I'll sign them. And I said, no, I don't, you know, I, I want you to come out and inspect this dog. Um, I'm an honest person and I believe in honesty and I wouldn't let him do it. Mm-hmm. So, and this is back again, once again, when you had to pay for long distance calls. Yeah. And I called Richard and told him what happened. And he asked me to become the breed inspector for Michigan, which I did for, and I checked quite a few dogs over the years. Mm-hmm. And that phone call cost me $39 and I was bringing home less than a hundred bucks a week. That was a big Jeez. phone bill. <laughs> yeah. But I wanted Richard, you know, I just... Like I said, I believe in honesty, and I wanted Richard to know what was going on. I wasn't trying to become the 
the <laughs> Michigan breed inspector or whatever. I just wanted to know that guy wasn't, you know, being honest. Mm-hmm. And that's how I met him. And, you know, our friendship developed over the years. Yeah. Um, I, I learned a lot from Richard. Um, I learned a lot from James Cantrell. I learned a lot from Randy Aller, Rex. Rex Laker, Rex Bauer, both of them guys. I mean, I've learned a lot over the years yeah. from these guys. And, you know, I'm not trying to brag or toot my own horn here, but, you know, I've got pretty good dogs. I, I You know, I treat a lot of game with what I got. And if you got something better, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> well, so thanks. ask me some questions or we'll close this Oh, no, this we're, up. we're good. We've, we've talked for about an hour and a half. Oh, jeez. So that's not including our, our break. So, and we got to get up early tomorrow. Yeah. We're going to be up at five o'clock. Yep. So we'll wrap this up. I I really do appreciate you for one, inviting me up here. Um, it's been a great trip. Well, you came with good recommendation. (laughs) (laughs) I I knew somebody that knew you. So yeah, I knew I wasn't, uh, going to get a lemon out of the deal. So I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and record this. So hopefully oh. tomorrow we'll, we'll do good. And Yep. I'm glad I met you, Ben. You're a good man. I, I don't say that about a lot of people anymore, but you're a good man. I appreciate it. Good family man. I can tell you love your wife and your kids. And that, to me, that's important. Well, I really appreciate it. And I've been blessed to come up here. And... You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Tree Talking Media. And until next time, keep talking in the timber.